Hi, and welcome to the DP World Tours Life on Tour podcast. I'm your host, Ewan Porter. And in today's episode, we're speaking to one of the most recent winners on tour and what an emphatic victory it was. In just his third ever start on the DP World Tour, that man is Dan Bradbury. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Now, when did you get home? And uh, tell me, was there some sort of welcome party for you at the airport when you got back home? Uh, no, I got home yesterday morning. Um, so we flew overnight uh, Monday night, got back to Manchester yesterday morning and got picked up. And that was it. That was uh, that was it. Came home, got some sleep, caught up on uh, on on the sleep and uh, and then, yeah, just kind of catching up with family and stuff. But yeah, no, no welcome party. But I didn't didn't particularly want one, to be honest. I'm sure there'll be plenty of time to celebrate over the holidays coming up. Now, that win at the Joburg Open three weeks ago, I was watching it, and I remember you uh, speaking to Dale Hayes there on the 18th green after you tapped in to win, and you said it's probably not going to sink in for a while. Has it sunk in yet? It doesn't. No, it doesn't particularly feel like it. Um, I mean, it doesn't doesn't feel any different, but I don't think it will. Um, I'd say it's sunk in about as much as I want it to right now. It's kind of I realise what's happened, but I'm not going to let it not going to let it affect anything. Well, not only was it just your third start that you won, but you won wire to wire, and more importantly, with your mum there as well. What a special feeling that must have been. Oh yeah, it was it was fantastic. Um, she she struggled over the years um, with work, so my dad's kind of been at most events. Um, he's a little bit more flexible with work, so. So he's been out and, and she's missed a few that she would like to have come to. And so then to actually come to this one and then this happen was obviously, yeah, very, very special. Yeah, she loved it. And uh, I think it's the best holiday she's been on in a while anyway. <laughs> oh, I bet it is. She would have been so proud of you and I'm sure vice versa as well. Well, look, we'll, we'll go back to where it all began for you. You grew up in the in the north of England in the Yorkshire region and joined Wakefield Golf Club I believe it was at the age of eight the youngest member ever to join there how um, instrumental has the club been in uh, the development of your career oh absolutely huge um so yeah I joined when I was actually just before my eighth birthday um so my birthday's in July and I kind of wanted to play in that summer um and they had a rule that you weren't allowed to join until you were eight years old and so they made an exception to that to allow me to play the start of the summer holidays and and get out there and uh, but yeah so they've been they've been fantastic so even just the past few years I haven't really spent much time there but whenever I do I go up there everyone's great they're all really nice um, everyone's really supportive and yeah it's just nice to kind of come back from tournaments and just have a load of people that are just genuinely happy for you and really want you to do well. Yeah, they've been amazing. That's pretty progressive for a club to allow kids to join at eight years old. I mean, I know I'm I'm from Sydney in Australia, and a lot of clubs here you still have to be twelve years old at the majority of them. Is that a is that a typical standard practice in England, or is that just Wakefield Golf Club? I'm not too sure, to be totally honest. Um, I think it's just they've always done eight. Um, I know you do have to play with an an adult. Um, I think on weekends, things like that. But like, no, they're they're really good. Um, they've been, like I said, been really supportive. And yeah, they they had a really really good junior section when I first joined. So there was always twenty, thirty, forty kids up there. Um, we had junior sessions, coaching sessions down on the practice ground. 
and there was just loads of people there and it was really nice environment to be in for for somebody of that age um but yeah there there was there was quite a few few under 10s there so yeah i think it, it might just be a wakefield thing but if not i think more clubs should do it if they don't yeah absolutely i agree with that is wakefield still home for you yes yeah i've we live in the same house as i was born um and yeah i'll probably never leave wakefield golf club um just cuz the things they've done for me and and yeah, there are better golf courses um, in with, but you have to drive quite far to get one, um, just for convenience and how. I mean, it's in the in the summer. This summer it was fantastic. It's, the greens were as good as long as the greens are good, and it's just a members' club. So, like I said, it was nice to be there. The greens are fantastic, so I can practice and things. That's it's it's all I need really. Whatever you're doing there is working, obviously. Uh, I know you're a uh, I know you're a Leeds United fan, and the North of England is uh, a big rugby hub as well. Both codes, rugby league and rugby union. Was golf always going to be the chosen pathway for you, or did you dabble in other sports? Um, so I played football was my first sport. Um, there's pictures of me with plastic golf clubs when I was little, but I never really got into golf fully until I was kind of six, seven. Um, but I was always kicking a football around, even until I was about 12 or 13, maybe even older. I was kicking a football against a wall. I was always had a football at my feet. Um, so when I got to about 14, I think it was, I had to decide, basically. Golf and football were, were taking up too much time and I had to kind of just throw onto the side. And so I, I chose golf and uh, left football there. But no, I never played rugby. Rugby is massive here. Um, a lot of my friends played football and rugby, which are obviously easier to to kind of coincide. Um, a little bit less time involved in rugby than there is in golf. Um, but yeah, no, my dad would never, dad would never let me play cricket in case it ruined my golf swing, and he'd never let me play rugby in case I got injured. <laughs> but I don't. But I'm happy now. Yeah. <laughs> well, you made the right decision, but play golf long enough, and you'll definitely uh, encounter a few injuries. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. Talk, talk, talk to me a little bit about your uh, junior golf career because you've had so many good players come out of that region uh, in recent times. Yeah. So the Yorkshire system starts when you're really, really young. Um, we played junior matches at the golf club all the time. I played junior matches for the Leeton district, which is within Yorkshire. Um, and then I was in the Yorkshire coaching system from being 13, 14. And that's with some of the best coaches in the country. It's headed up by Steve Robinson and Graham Walker, who work with guys on tour, um, work with the England squads. Um, and then you've got a few guys underneath them that are also fantastic. Um, but yeah, they just, we do coaching days, one or two every month, kind of get everyone together. Um, you can compete against each other, and that's that's a big thing, really. Um, but yeah, the, the the coaching system was was fantastic, especially starting so young. But talk to me a little bit about your uh, your decision to go to college in the United States post junior golf career as well, because uh, I know certainly as a foreigner, it's not easy to up and leave and move to the other side of the world for four years or in your case five years so uh why college for you so i was when i was kind of 16 17 i was playing some decent golf but i wasn't in the england squads um i was kind of just on the border just outside um and so it was well if i stay in england i could try and get in the england squad or i can go out to america where i know i'm going to be playing golf i'm going to be playing golf all year round it's a better standard and 
the facilities are better and all all that sort of thing. Um, so I kind of looked at it like it was it was more of a risk to stay here and maybe not play great, not get in the England squad. Yeah. Um, so I decided to go um, with the help of of Pro Dream. Um, I needed their help because oh, that's an agency, by the way. Um, but they, with their help. I could speak to coaches um, that I I would never even I didn't even know where to start to be honest. Yeah. And because I wasn't in the England squad, I wasn't getting looked at by the coaches um, at the top level anyway at Division One. So I went into Division Two um, just because I could get more scholarship, so it would be cheaper for my parents, which was a big thing for me because I didn't really want them to spend a load of money on me going out there. Um, so yeah, I went to a place where I could get more scholarship and I could pretty well not guarantee playing, but I could guarantee getting some tournaments because I didn't want to go out there and go to a Division One school and then not qualify for the team, not enjoy it and not get anything out of it. Well, that school you attended was Lincoln Memorial University in Tennessee, as you mentioned, a Division Two uh, college. You ended up being the number one college player in the country for Division Two schools. You won nine times there. Uh, whilst there, that was a school record. You were all American. You must have ended up feeling pretty comfortable there to have that type of success. Oh, I loved it. It was uh, it was like home away from home, and I think it's still part of me is still wants to be there. Um, yeah, it was amazing. The people there are lovely. The coach was fantastic. Um, the players we had we had quite a few British guys. Sam Broadhurst, right? Paul Broadhurst's son was there. Yeah, Sam was there. Um, so he was a little bit like a mentor to me the first couple of years because um, when I went in, he was a top 10 player in the country. Um, and and we were in the same scenario, but he was just two, two years ahead of me. Um, so yeah, kind of hung around with him a bit, learned what he did. Um, and yeah, and then there was Harry Boyle and then Luke Harris came in with me. And there's so many great British guys came in and we ended up um my junior year we made it to the national final and all five guys in the starting lineup were british <laughs> so we had we had a scottish a welsh and three english and so that that made it even more comfortable um but the coach was american travis muncie he is a legend i love that man um he will do absolutely anything for anyone the nicest person you'll ever meet and so just having him there and then having people on the team that you're comfortable with yeah, it was just, it. yeah, oh, I found it very, very nice. What about at the beginning? Was it a big culture shock going from the UK to Tennessee? Yeah, so um, I actually went out just three weeks after my 18th birthday. Um, so I went out with my mum and dad and my sister. And we all went, we hired a car and we flew into Knoxville, hired a car. And as we're driving up, um, we're not religious but there's churches everywhere. There's more churches and houses, it feels like. There's big signs everywhere. And you're in the country in, in America. We're in the mountains in the middle of nowhere in Tennessee. We're driving through these mountains in the pitch black. It's like 1 a.m. We don't know where we're going. We've never been before. I didn't go on a visit. So I'm showing up to this place, like not having a clue what to expect. But yeah, like I said, the people were lovely. They were very supportive and... Once you get over there, you're very busy. You kind of forget about everything else. You get thrown in the deep end. Like, look, so I I actually, because I played the British Am, I flew out a week after classes started. So I got thrown in. It's like, you've already missed a week of class. So you've, you yeah, I know you've got here at 2 a.m., but you've got class at 8 o'clock in the morning. 
And then when you're done with class, you go into the bank, you've got to open a bank account, then you've got to go sort of phone out, all this. And so for the first week, two weeks, you're just sorting everything out. It's a real sink or swim environment, right? Exactly, yeah. But that's And that's where Trav, the coach, came in and having the, the older guys, the British guys around you that you can kind of talk to, that's where that came in for me. It was because they've all done it. So, and when younger guys came in for me, it's like they were asking me questions like, hey, what did you do with this? And how did we do this? And so you, you help them out. And just having that group of people was, was such a big thing. Well, you weren't done with college after your four years there. I know you transferred to one of the best Division I schools in the country, Florida State. Uh, I know their director of golf fairly well, Robert Duck, who's a fellow Englishman. So, um, so why Florida State for a year? Um, so I was kind of at a crossroads, um, obviously COVID hit my junior year. So I felt like I had a little bit of unfinished business there. Um, few records that I'd kind of set my sights on and things like that. So I decided that I was going to stay my senior year, but then during my senior year, I was going to have a look at the option of taking my fifth year at a top division one school. Um, so it was either that or turn pro. And I just wasn't quite sure with the COVID situation, um, with mm-hmm. no Q schools, things like that, where we would kind of go um, in that scenario. So I decided to put myself in the transfer portal and speak to a few coaches. And Ducky got straight back to me and we hit off really well. And he's a great guy. And uh, the rest kind of came from there. But yeah, Florida State was, uh, as soon as they came calling, it was, it was yeah, it was a, a nice feeling. And uh such a great school, a great facility, and uh, a great opportunity. Yeah, it was. Now, you turned pro in July 2022, and your first event was uh, the Kazoo Classic on the DP World Tour, and to this day remains the only cut you've missed on tour. What was the initial plan? Was it to play as much as you could in Europe or in the USA where you had been for five years? So initially, I knew that coming home was my best option. Um, being in America was going to be tough, simply because of the extra costs. Um because I have, obviously, I can live here with my parents still. I have a car over here. Um, I have places of practice. Over there, the only thing I had was a place to practice. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a place to live. So if I was going to stay in America, I'd need to build a base somewhere. And I didn't know particularly where that would be. I have good friends in Knoxville and, and other places that I could maybe stay for like a week here or there. And But I didn't want to do that. So I wanted to come home, settle down again. Um, and then play in Europe. So my plan was um, to turn pro and then challenge tour was my plan. So I played, um, obviously got the last, got the invite to Hillside kind of two days before it again. Well, two days before leaving for it. Um, So I went and played that, didn't play particularly great. And then went straight from there to three challenge tour events. So that was the, the plan all along was the three challenge tour events. Um, but yeah, the, the DP World Tour invite was just a just a bonus in there. Well, when you went down to South Africa in November, you'd come off back-to-back top 20 finishes. One was a challenge tour event. The other one was actually a top 15 finish at the Open de España uh, on the DP World Tour. And you're actually only one shot behind John Rahm after 36 holes there. That must have given you a, a huge deal of confidence uh, heading down to Joburg. Oh, definitely. Um, I was drawing off experiences in Madrid the whole week. Um so yeah, in Madrid, I kind of, I played played really well for two rounds, had one kind of average, not so great, and one shocking round on Saturday. And so I knew that, well, if I can still finish top 13 
or th- tied 13th doing that, mm. then if I can just keep playing the good golf that I'm playing and take out the three double bogeys and, and that sort of thing, then I would have been fine. If I mean, so for 69 of the 72 holes, I would have been second place. So that that's the way I was looking at it. Um, I obviously played good enough golf. But at the time, I thought that was uh, I thought that was it for the year, and I'd kind of blown my chance and uh, I had put put in a respectable performance, but not not done as much as I needed to. But yeah, and then when getting the phone call for Joburg, that was uh, that was nice. Did you play Q School around this time as well? I believe is that right? The week before, uh, two weeks before Madrid. Mm. Um, so I, I uh, or, well, a few weeks before Madrid anyway, I, I went to Q School um, down at the Players Club in Bristol um, and actually hit the ball really nicely. Um, but I had 11 three putts. I chipped awfully. Tee to green was, was, was very good, um, which I could normally rely on. But yeah, that really hurt that one. Uh, three putt in the last from about 25, 30 feet to miss by one shot. Um, that was, yeah, that was painful. And then getting, so like I said, then from, from going from that to getting the start in Madrid was right. Okay. Like we've, I've got to prove to, to a few people here that that's not me. That 11, three puts is not, not what I'm about. And hopefully we did that. Well, when you went down to Joburg, you, I mentioned earlier, you won wire to wire. You started with rounds of 63, 66, 67, you headed into that final round, one shot ahead of Sammy Valamaki. Uh, you had proven winners, Christian Bezadenhut and Danny Van Tonda, breathing down your neck. Waking up that Sunday morning, knowing that your life could potentially change in just a few hours, how nervous were you that Sunday morning? I was fine. It's, it sounds really? strange. Yeah, it sounds strange to say, but I was absolutely fine. Um, I kind of, I think the most nervous I was was when I actually sat down at dinner on Saturday night and thought, hang on a sec, like I could do this. But then I was trying to distract myself all night and uh, did a good job of that with the World Cup going on and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I kind of just watched football and it, look, I, I felt like I was playing playing well enough and I knew that I could do it. Um, so I just tried not to think about it really and it's like, so it was weird because I actually had a flight home that Sunday night after Joburg because um, I was only planning on going for the week. And I knew you needed to top five to join, uh, to get into next week. But because I hadn't joined the tour, that wouldn't have worked for me. So I, the only way I was playing next week was to win it. So I packed my bags, moved out of the hotel on that Sunday morning and was like, okay, like, let's just go, let's just go win this thing. Like, that's the only option, really. Well, when you started off that final round, you birdied two of the first three holes. Potential disaster loomed at the sixth. Uh, tough par four. You're in trouble there. Pitched in from 30 yards for par, and it wasn't an easy pitch either. Upon reflection, I'd assume that has to be the key moment for you. Yeah, I'd rather not talk about it, to be honest. It was a little bit embarrassing. Um, talk to me about the pitch. <laughs> no, the pitch was fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I just... I was just, I kind of had a good spot. It, obviously, it was preferred lies because of the overnight rain. Um, so I had a, obviously had a good lie and the grass there was so tight and the ball kind of set up on a tee. It was lovely. So if you struck it well, it was great. If you didn't strike it well, the club would dig in and stop and make you look silly. Um, but I knew all I had to do was get a good strike on it, try and get as much spin as I could on it. Um, 
because obviously the greens were very quick, didn't have a lot of green to work with. Um, but yeah, as soon as I hit it, I was like, oh, that could be good. And then as soon as it hit the green, I was like, that's in. Like, there's, there's nowhere else this can go. It was in. Um, but yeah, we're, we're trying to forget the three shots before. It, anyway. <laughs> well, I won't mention those. I know the, uh, the commentators were speaking about how calm you looked out there. You looked like a seasoned veteran. Was that the case underneath the surface? Yeah, I'd say it was. Um, just because of going back to Lincoln Memorial. Um, mm. I mean, I, I won nine times. I had a, a lot more top fives and a lot more top tens. And I, I had a lot of tournaments that I was in a winning position and, and didn't see it out. Um, I got better at that throughout the years. Um, just again, just drawing on experiences, things like that. Um, but yeah, I kind of just, it was like, well, you've done this before. It's yes, it's a very different level. It's a very different feeling. And there's a whole lot more on the line, but I'd, I'd won nine times and I'd, I'd not won a lot more. So I just had to draw on those experiences and just the end of the day, it's golf. things will happen that you don't like things will happen that you do and and you figure it out add them up at the end that's how uh i don't remember who told me that when i was younger but it stuck with me just just hit it and add them up at the end when you tapped in for the win a three-shot win you were the lowest ranked player in the history of the dp world tour to to win an event at 1397 in the world which sounds absolutely ridiculous because you played absolutely nothing like that and your talent level is obviously nothing like that but uh how were the celebrations that night there weren't any um oh, you had to move into really, a new hotel i guess exactly yeah yeah it sounds really sad to say um my mum flew home my caddy went home um i i just went to the the house and up the hill um there on on the eighth tee box just went up said look can i have a room got in the room and just kind of just laid there and just let tried to let it all sink in a little bit and yeah went for a meal by myself and that was it um but now i think the plan all along was as soon as i got into the next two weeks was just play them get home and then celebrate now this is uh have the next week or two leading up to christmas enjoy christmas and uh i'd rather celebrate here with with people i know and people i love than 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 randomers yeah great plan i like that look um that win Sees you exempt through till the end of 2025 now. It's a two-year exemption that's essentially three by winning at the end of 2022 in the in the 23 season. Is the plan to focus on Europe now specifically right through till then? Or, you know, having spent most of your adult life in the US, would you plan to go back there at all? Do you think you can get some invites there? Um, look, there's, there's, no, there's no point really in me trying to get a few invites um, because I'm just going to take away from events over here. So I would rather focus on Europe for now. Um, obviously, the ultimate aim is to be a PGA Tour player, um, but I think the, the the aim right now is to is to to creep up the rankings on the DP World Tour, get my world ranking down, focus on on all that the next year or two, and then maybe at the end of the year get the top ten in the rankings that gets you a PGA Tour card. That would be that would be the ultimate aim, and there's no point taking away. And missing maybe three or four starts on the European Tour, where I could be getting, um, gaining points in the DP World Tour rankings, just for a couple of opportunities in America. Because realistically, again, you have to go out there and win to get an exemption. Yeah. Um, plus, I don't think they'd particularly give me invites. I think the whole idea of this European, giving the European Tour some cards, is 
is to keep me in in Europe. And I'm completely happy with that at the minute. Well, another perk of winning in Joburg was that you'll be making your first Open Championship start in uh, 2023 and first major championship start if you don't play the Masters or PGA or US Open prior to that. But uh, it's at Royal Liverpool in the north of England there. How familiar are you with uh, Hoylake? I've actually never be, uh, never played. I think I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I think I was there um, back in 2014 when Rory won. Um I, I'm not sure my dad, I was only 13, 14 years old. Um, but yeah, I don't know the course, but it's only an hour and a half, two hours away from home, which is lovely. Um, so I'm hoping to get quite a bit of support over there. I know a lot of the Wakefield members will be uh, will be coming over if they can. Um, but yeah, I'm just looking forward to it. I, I mean, I've, I've done open qualifying um, two times now. Was at final qualifying last year and was leading after one round and bottled it. Um, so at least we don't have to do that this year because um, that's that's stressful and for only three to get through for that, yeah, we don't want to be doing that too many times. So if I can just do this every year and get straight in it, I'll be happy with that. Good plan. Uh, growing up in England, uh, was the Open Championship, is that the major uh, for you, the one you always wanted to play, wanted to win? Definitely, definitely. This is the one with the most history. I mean, obviously there's the Masters, um, I think there's there's kind of more around the golf course over there. Um, and obviously there's a lot of history involved in that as well. And I would absolutely love to play that. But they're the two. Um, but yeah, I'd say if I had to choose one, I, I would I'd choose the Open. So is there anyone in particular that you will be seeking out for a, a practice round there at Royal Liverpool? Any of your heroes, idols, any of the world's top players that you'll be looking for their advice around there? Uh, yeah, definitely. Just, I, I think two come to mind. Um, Rory, just because I grew up watching him every week. And I mean, how can you not want to play with Rory McIlroy? Um, and then the other one's Matt Fitzpatrick. Um, Sheffield boy. Exactly. I played with his brother quite a bit. We have the same coach now. Uh, well, Steve Robinson works with him and, and Steve's my main coach. Um, so I'm hoping to to be able to make that one that one work. But yeah. Just kind of seeing what those guys do. Two of the best players in Europe. Well, two of the best players in the world. Um, yeah, it would be would be great to see how how they go about things and uh, try and learn a few things from them. I think one of the most fascinating things about the top players in the world too is they're actually very very accessible. I know from my time playing out there, you're always a little bit apprehensive. Oh, they're you know they've got such big names, but they're generally very very welcoming. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, John Rahm in Madrid, um, obviously he's there, he's the big name, he's got a lot of media duties, everyone's there for him. Um, but just seeing the way he goes about things and being around him in the same room and um, didn't actually get to speak to him, but he was speaking to a few people I was with and, and certain things. And yeah, just just kind of seeing the way he did things, I, I can definitely agree with that. He was very, very accessible and very nice as well. Well, despite the the win... Uh, in Joburg a few weeks ago. You've still only made four career DP World Tour starts. So heading out there next season, there's going to be a lot of places that you travel to that you're unfamiliar with, unfamiliar with the golf courses. Is there anyone uh, is there anyone specific that you'll be trying to lean on for advice out there? Um, that's, that's a tough question. Um, I think, I mean, so I was, um, I think management kind of side of things, that's really important for me now. Um getting somebody with experience and somebody who I can lean on. Um, 
because the guy who I was working with was Stuart Cage. Cage is now working on the inside. Um, so that's changed things up a little bit. I'm sure I'll still be able to ask him for a bit of advice here and there. Um, but no, I think it's just, look, there's, there's a load of great guys out there on the tour, a load of great caddies. And um, I've already spoke to a few of them these past few weeks. People have been out there on tour for 20, 30 years, just kind of speaking to them and look, what's what's the situation here? How do I do this? And uh, yeah, everyone's been really, really nice so far. So uh, we'll uh, we'll just use use them and yeah, use loads of little, loads of different people. I've got to ask you after that win in Joburg, is there anyone, uh, any of your idols, any big name tour players or celebs that have reached out to you to congratulate you? Uh, being a Leeds fan, James Milner's uh, sent me a few messages. So that's been quite nice, <laughs> um, but not no, not really. I mean, obviously, a few of the players have and things, and that's. That's nice, um, but no, 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 nobody major yet. But hopefully, when we uh, we see a few of the bigger names and whatever, might get to chat with them and and all that stuff. But no, it's been it's been pretty pretty calm so far. Well, you mentioned that you're going to celebrate over these next couple of weeks over the Christmas holiday period. First event back in 2023 is in Abu Dhabi. What's the plans prior to that? Will you go out a little bit early and prepare? Um, so actually, I, before before all this happened, I'd, I'd planned to play the Portugal Pro Tour um, and go to Spain to see my girlfriend before that. So I'm actually going to go to Spain um, still, get some, some nice warm weather practice in there. Hopefully the weather's nice. And I mean, the golf costs are great over there. Go down there and then go to Abu Dhabi from Spain. Um, yeah, I'm looking outside right now and it's minus two and there's frost everywhere. So I don't think I'll be playing too much golf prior to Spain. Um, but yeah, get, we'll get over there probably a few, a few days before the week itself starts. Just get acclimatised and things and then get ready to go. It's going to be a, it's going to be a long year because I love playing. Um, so I'm going to going to try play quite a bit, kind of do what Tristan did this year. Um, he won in the Joburg and then ended up playing a lot. Um, says now we played too much but at least he knows for next year and and he had a good year so hopefully I can uh, I can kind of do the same and I think we have similar similar characters we we don't like being sat at home so have you got a, a minimum or a maximum number of events that you want to play like a lot of the top players will say 20 events is all they want to do other players will play 30 to 35 what's your number uh 30 to 35 will be pretty tough I think um somewhere in the middle there yeah, I, I, it'll be more than 20, I can assure you that. I was kind of looking at the schedule yesterday when I got home. It's like, oh, that'd be nice. Oh, that'd be nice. Uh, I'll end up I'll end up playing quite a lot, I think. Um, I won't play everything. Um, the ones over in Asia will be obviously tricky to get to just because of how far away they are. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. That's, that's the plan over these next two weeks. I'm not just enjoying myself. I've got to figure a plan out for next year. Well, you've done a very good job of figuring it out so far. Dan Bradbury, thanks very much for joining us today on the Life on Tour podcast. Congratulations once again on that emphatic victory in Joburg, and we look forward to watching you tear it up in 2023 and beyond. Thank you very much for having me. I've enjoyed it.